How do you create advertising that becomes part of conversations and stands out? Dean Olshik, founder and MD of Halo, a design-led creative agency, shares some of their insight from recent work. You can either create something memorable that people remember and, and will we'll have uh, an emotional attachment to that for the next 6 to 12 months, or whatever, or longer, hopefully, or you just advertise to them all the time. Some advertising is seen as a distraction in consumers' lives, while other work trends and becomes part of our vocabulary. When we took this brief, we were given three-month KPIs on what we wanted this, what they hoped that this campaign could achieve. And we'd, we'd reached those three-month KPIs in the second week of the campaign running. In this episode, we talk about why that is. I mean, the, 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 the short answer is emotion. And discuss some of the human insight that can be drawn from some of the most successful examples. Please stop thinking the consumers are dumb. They're not. The consumers are really, really smart and, and they appreciate when you give them the time of day. This is The Lead Creative. Welcome to The Lead Creative Podcast, where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mongi Simtati. Enjoy the show, and please share and subscribe. Dean, thank you very much for joining us on The Lead Creative. It's such a privilege to have you on the show. Hi, Mongezi. Thanks for having me. All good. All good. Just before we kick off, um, just a simple sort of question. I think the question of inspiration comes up a lot within the creative space. Where, where or how would you say you draw your inspiration for the creative work that you come up with? Sure. That's you've started the conversation on a, on a real tough one. Um, I think inspiration. I think inspiration comes from everything around you. I um, I recently became a father in, in the last three years, and and dealing with dealing with two kids now, um, I find that I'm so much more in tuned to the insights of parenthood, and I think you know that would be it would be I'd be much better copyright enough or anything around parent brands that I would have been 10 years ago. And, and, and that inspiration comes from moments I see and, and think of funny or entertaining or interesting. Um, I get a lot of inspiration when I'm running. I think it's the only way I can really um, quieten my mind and, and just, and let thoughts come to me. And, and I think most people, most people find their own way of, of thinking about things. And, but that's the one that seems to work for me the best, but yeah, like inspiration for me is is about is an ongoing pursuit of of just searching and looking and observing the world and listening and 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 picking out insights that you think are are already are curious or, or or things that you know other people might recognize and yeah I've I've learned that lesson with my kids. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great one. That's a that's that's a great point. Um, over the past two or so weeks, there's a piece of work that's been trending on social media for its creativity, for its humor, for how it uses um, out of home advertising to to be memorable. Can you talk us through what that piece of work is and the thinking behind that work? Yeah, thanks. I mean. It's always weird when you put a piece of work out into the world because you, I guess you live in hope that it's going to be received really, really, really well. And 
I've always been of of the opinion that rather put something out in the world that you believe is going to have an equal chance of getting as much love as it's going to get some hate, um, because then at least it's it's drawing some kind of an emotional response from people. And if it doesn't do that, then I think you're wasting your time. And it always gets really disappointing for me when I put something out there and, and everyone's like, oh, that's nice. Um, and and this was not that. And so this is you're you're referencing the pineapple insurance work and and you know we worked on it for so long and and we had so many different iterations of the campaign and, and the thinking behind it and I think we took the brief in December last year and and we went back we we that the idea initially was a television was it was a television idea and uh, was a film idea and the clients um, decided that outdoor would have been the best is the best path for them to launch their brand. Um, they, they, they just believe in outdoor as a medium. And so we had to kind of adapt with adapt a TV idea for outdoor. And we just got, um, we'd come up with a strategic idea of the fairest insurance in the land. And, and they're like that because you know, if you meet the founders of, of pineapple insurance, they've got incredible intentions and, and just, just such good intentions. They, they started this, so many businesses start out of frustration with something or frustration with an industry or frustration with the way of things that get done. And these guys have started this business out of a frustration of, I guess, insurance being super competitive, but, but also a race to the bottom at the same time and, and, and almost an incentivization for insurance companies to not pay claims. And the more claims yeah. they don't pay, the more profit they make. And so they set out this business and they created a business that essentially the the, the operational costs of the business are is a percentage of, of, of the premiums that you pay and the, and the balance of the premiums goes into a pot for to look after a community of people and and if the community if the community needs to pay claims, then they pay the claims and if there's money left over at the end it goes back to your pockets. And and that's if you go back in the history of insurance, that's how insurance always was invented back in the, it was eventually, it was originally invented in the, in the shipping industries in the, I think in the early 1800s, if, I, if memory serves me correct. And, and that's how they did it. It was a, it was a community of people who put money in and if something went wrong, they could pay out and get back on their feet. And, and that's, that intention exists within the way pineapple exists as, as a, as a business and a brand. And um, so we, we love this idea of fairness. You know, I think, it's a it's a really good place for for a business like insurance to start from, and and they do they they we we tested this at length with them, and we would never come up with a strategy that doesn't have some tie back to a, a real deliverable um, within the business. And fairness was the big thing. So out of fairness came we wanted to create a campaign that imposed that came across as as trying to show insurance as being fair, and we and 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 we came up with this idea of 100% pure insurance um 0% anything else and and originally we played in we creatively played in spaces of organic insurance and um you know vegan insurance if there was such a thing or and we started like those are some fair creative territories and and it was just these these really creative um territories that were they were quite fertile around um what you could do what you could do with 100% pure insurance and we ended up in a space of honesty and um, and we created a 
I think one of the first lines we created is actually still on a billboard now, uh, has gone up on a billboard and it says, and we, and we present, and we, we went into the boardroom with the clients and we presented this billboard and it said in, in, in inverted commas as a quotation, the founder of the founder of pineapples, a guy named Minus, And we put a, a billboard up that said, well, that's never going to sell insurance quote by Minus. And, and, and we, we, we preempted the whole campaign with this idea that, the, the the initial reaction to this thing is going to be well that's never going to sell insurance and almost every person you speak to has had a negative experience that that needed a little bit of honesty in its own self it's insurance and and that's that was kind of the creative idea and so we wanted to be self-aware we wanted to be authentic we wanted to be and we used the word and, and this was this has almost become a checkbox that we that the client has bought into which has been amazing is is it had to be slightly self-deprecating it had to relook really at themselves in a way that that was quite humorous um, and there's a famous campaign there's a famous campaign I'm sure you know in when KFC couldn't deliver chicken they, they had a shortage of chicken in the UK and and their agency at the time just flipped the letters around and it just said FCK so it was just like I think people just so appreciate brands being honest and and taking a look at themselves. And I think I think this is yeah I think this is one of, one of those things that that stands out in the social media posts that I'm seeing where people comment on this piece of work. It's yes, it's the humor on the one side, but on the other side of it, it's the it's the honesty and how people find it to almost to resonate with them as a piece of work that 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 just makes sense how do you get to a point though where you convince a client that in this instance simplicity is the way to go um being a little bit self-deprecating is the way to go how do you get to that point how do you earn that trust with a new client so i mean I think 99.9% .9 of clients would not have approved this work. And, and I have to say that. And I think we have in the past done work that's, that's done similar types of things and maybe not to this degree. Maybe the client has, has, hasn't had um, the, the eggs to go for it. But I must say, I must say upfront, like the, this client is not that. Like this client wanted that work. They demanded it almost. And so it was very easy for us to convince them to go for this. It, in fact, in fact, I don't even think it was ever a, a debate. Um, we originally presented, I think, three or four different ideas in terms of how to how to do the first campaign. Um, as I mentioned, this was originally a TV idea, and they and they immediately they immediately gravitated towards this one, and they said, "This is the one we have to go with," but we have to do it on Artel. We then went and and chose. We then started fine tuning the campaign to be an Artel campaign. Um, and, and they kept, yeah, they, they bought it. They bought it immediately. They, they, they loved it. They laughed and they felt it. I think that, I think the client felt that they laughed, um, they, their customers will laugh. And the difference between a startup or a challenger brand like pineapple and, and a, a bigger insurance brand, <laughs> let's not use any yeah. names, um, is that the decision maker is, it's who the decision maker is. And in this case, the decision makers were all the founders of the business. So they had, there was no one above them that had to buy into this. There was no one above them that was going to judge their decision making process and how could they have done this? How could they put a billboard up that said what it says? And whereas at a big insurance brand, you know, 
it's it's a marketing director who's got a group marketing director above them who's got a CEO above them and then who's got a board above them and 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 everyone often clients I think are they judge creative work from a place of a little bit of fear um, I'm not saying they're all fearful of it but there's a little bit of fear in, in, ingrained in it and and people always if 10 people were speaking about you one was saying a negative thing and nine was saying positive things you worry about the one negative you'd worry about what that why is that person saying negative things about me why is that person saying bad things about me it's just the way we're, we're inclined um, as human mm. beings to be worrying about the negative yeah. stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, we're built to, we're built with, with good fear receptors. And, mm. um, and, and so people often judge work like that. People judge work going, well, what is it? One out of 10 person going to say, whereas the pineapple guys were like, I can't wait for the hate. They were like, I can't wait for people to not like this because then it's, they've clearly missed it. They've clearly not the audience. They're clearly not the target market. They're clearly, don't get it. And if we get it, if we find mm. it funny, then the people we're supposed to be talking to find it funny. And because they're young and because they're startups and because that they're um, in any, in any startup, it's probably a little bit more aggressive um, in their approach. They, they realize that there's an, there's a whole audience out there of young under 35s who no one's speaking to or no one's speaking with. Um, because no one speaks their language. Like those guys don't resonate with, um, you know, an assurance or a my way or a, like one of these established or sun these, these guys aren't, aren't um, connecting with those brands because those brands aren't speaking to them at all. We just spoke to people and we just spoke to the TikTok generation in the way that they want to be spoken to or speak about or the yes. way they speak about yeah. insurance. Yeah. Yeah. But we just did it on a billboard. You know, if this campaign was a digital campaign, I don't think it would have succeeded. But it was almost this audacity to put those words up on a billboard that people were like, whoa. And then ironically, it went viral on, on social media. Um, so so that's where, I think that's where I want to, I want to jump in, I think. Um, yeah. In terms of just the social, I think, the and the digital sort of campaign. Following the success of you know, the out of home and the billboards, did this have any influence on the digital campaign or the digital or their approach to, to, to digital? Because some, another piece of work that I noticed that you guys have worked on as well is work for naked insurance where it feels and looks as though both the outdoor and the, the, the ads that I see at least on YouTube and everywhere else speak the same language. In this instance, did the two pieces of work almost influence digital, or was there, or was the golden thread established, and then yeah. the, the two teams went their separate ways? Yeah. So, um, so Naked was a brand we worked on about two years ago um, when we created the we created the Get Naked on your um, Land Rover, Get Naked on your on your car, Get Naked on your mountain bike campaign. Um, which which they've run with for, for two years, and I think it's established a good narrative for their brand. Um, and there's definitely commonality between these two brands. Like they are the two disruptor insurance brands in the market. Um, and I think that there's obviously something about our agency that is that attracted them to us. And and because they're the two disruptors, that that they're the two that are prepared to be a bit more disruptive in the way that they advertise and communicate. Um, 
the digital stuff was definitely an extension of the campaign. We we, we wrote the, one of my favorite lines that we've written in the campaign. It, it, it's nothing that most people would have seen because we haven't shared any of the digital work. But it's but it's super. It, it's highly integrated. But it says there's an ad that says, "If you're seeing this ad, our targeting works." And then there's another ad that says, "If you see this ad, our retargeting works." And we've kind of targeted to someone to see it's um, one after the other. And and it's just that yeah. It's just that honest assessment again of 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 how digital ads do it and how digital ads like yes. you know um, did you mention insurance because here we are here we are in your feed you know like it's it's that honest assessment of of how advertising works and and almost making light of the fear that people have of of brands and how they get almost too close to you so so the mm. strategy was I think the strategy is really set up front and and then it was just extended into into the different media we definitely. We wanted to lead with outdoor because um, if you just look at the conversion funnel, you know the outdoor has a very set purpose, and that's that's to drive awareness and uh, and some brand love. Like that's it. Like there's nothing else to it. Um, and once it gets to once it gets to some consideration phases, then that's when the digital stuff needs to kick in. So it does happen down the funnel, and um, and, and it obviously makes sense for it to be aligned with the campaign creatively. And, and there's other things that we're looking at at the moment just to try to extend the campaign into different media, just to try to keep it um, really, really fun and fresh. Because that, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge moving forward. Right, right. With more and more conversations pointing towards, you know, out of home being less impactful or billboards being less impactful, how can brands still make the most of it? Well, I just, it's not true, right? Um, and and mm. I don't know, you know, the only the people who are saying these things are people who've got massive yeah. incentives to benefit from that belief in play. And, you know, CAN 10 years ago or 20 years ago was run by, the old CAN Advertising Awards was run by the big networks and the big agencies. It's now run by Google and Facebook. And they've got the biggest, because they've got the biggest finger in the pie. And so it's up to them to, direct the conversation towards digital and people have started to fall for that. And um, there's also an element of measurability on digital that you can't achieve necessarily on outdoor. And, and that's, that's also, again, if people are, if people are fearful of their jobs, if people are fearful of their positions, if, fear, if people want to justify the work that they're doing, and if they've got really, you know, low, probably low expectations around what advertising could achieve for the brand, then by all means go digital because you're going to get you're going to be able to measure those results and you're going to be able to justify your position and your decision making. Whereas above the line, it's still winning. Um, it, you know, you know, like the returns that we received, the returns that Pineapple have got out of this campaign. You know, you know. So, so let me paint the picture. This is a digital. This is a digital business that started in 2017. They're five years old. They've only ever been on digital in five years, trying to build the brand on digital media. And for the first time ever, they went on outdoor um, in, on the 1st of September. And when we took this brief, we were given three-month KPIs on what we wanted, this, what they hoped that this campaign could achieve. And we'd, we'd reached those three-month KPIs in the second week of the campaign running. And that's, you just don't get that return on digital. And and I know why. Like it, it's it's a psychology. It, it's the psychology of um, social proof, right? Um, if if I if you see something on your phone, you're 
you're the only in your world you're the only person seeing something on your phone whereas if you see something on an outdoor and and there's 50 other people around you you already know that those 50 other people are seeing that and so it feels bigger it just feels bigger psychologically it feels bigger and therefore you feel the brand is bigger you feel that they've got more credibility they've got more trust um the 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 audacity to say certain things on, on those media would, would, would be significantly, would have a bigger impact than, than saying it on social media. Um, and so outdoor is definitely working. Just, just another anecdotal answer, another anecdotal um, piece of evidence around this is, is, um, is Yoko, right? Now, I think Yoko is one of the darling brands in South Africa. Um, and we were unbelievably privileged to work on Yoko a couple of times um, over the past three years. And they did a rebrand. They did a rebrand last year to try pull their brand more into an African context. Um, it was it felt like quite banky and quite European, and they wanted to make it way more African and way more context. And there's a they've got an amazing um, head of design at Yoko in Yoko Studio called Elton, and and he 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 led the he led the whole brand evolution. And and so we did the campaign. We did the campaign last year um, for them on this, it, it, and the campaign launched in I think August last year. And it was the first time you so Yoko, I think correct I could be wrong, it was I think it started about 2014. So it's about seven, it was the brand was about seven years old. Again, only only been on digital. Um, they obviously had physical presence in stores and the retail environments that they operated in. But last year, last year, August was the first time Yoko went on television and and, um, and did some out, out, um, supported that with out of home. They went since then, I, I I must be careful of what Karen can't say. Um, but the campaign itself ran from August to August last year to February this year, so six months. And in six months, that of a seven-year-old business, they increased the business size by sixty-five percent. They went from they went from roughly one hundred and twenty thousand customers to over two hundred thousand customers in six months. And um, it was the first time they ever went on above the line. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm selling my campaign short because. Hopefully it had something to do with that, but it also I have to look be realistic around where they were, and um, and I think a combination of great creative and great media placement does always does the job better than anything else. Right. But um, right. yeah. But above the line media is just you can't compete with it at the moment. It, it, it's too powerful. It's too big. You know, even the even the comments, even how, I mean, I, I think considering everything. The the work on on social media has got about five hundred thousand impressions. Like, and we think that's a big number, but like that's one billboard gets. You know, like that's that's not that's not going to change the game. Like, not like not like it does in the real world. And I think we still we st- in in the South African context, above the line media and outdoor and radio and television is still it still has huge returns. And I think people, if people yeah, are that's what I wanted it. to, yeah, I think that's what I wanted to ask. That's what I wanted to get to that. Um, is it, is it perhaps where we find ourselves as a country and as a continent in that we are more trusting or somewhat more trusting of some mediums over others? Um, and besides that, is it not perhaps a combination of, various mediums hitting the same person that it increases trust it in, and, and it increases that brand love that, that, that you were referring to. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not a media planner and a media strategist, and we had we had very little play. We had we had very little play in in the decision to go. I mean, we we presented outdoor work, and we wanted them to go in outdoor. We we pushed them for that, but we had very little play in the planning of the of the actual outdoor. And and I think that that's been a huge success of theirs in the way that they've they've got a a, a campaign that's seemingly everywhere. Um, much like the drip campaign, right? Like it's just everywhere you go, yes, you see yes, drip, you see yes. drip snowboards, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, there's too many small brands on social. There's too many, you know, t-shirt startups or uh, beauty brands or like little startups that exist on social media that you keep coming across. And I think then when you see a brand that's a startup that you don't know, like a pineapple that you've never heard of before. You 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 put them in the same boat as that. You put them in like, oh, they're a startup or they're like a young up and coming, and like, and and that doesn't necessarily come with a whole bunch of trust and credibility. Whereas you see them on mm. a billboard, and then you see them all over on a billboard, and you're suddenly like, okay, hang on, these guys are obviously the real deal, right? And um, that immediately uh, reduces any risk associated with a purchase of that nature that you would you might take with a with an insurance brand, um, especially a startup insurance brand, and and I think I think insurance is just one of those industries that is very very tough to sell. I think that um, I think the buyer's behavior is is very long term. I think that I think that we we inevitably stay with that once we get an insurance brand, once we once we buy an insurance brand, we generally stay with them for probably eighteen months to maybe five years. You know, and we and we possibly only enter the buyer's cycle, or the um, we probably only enter that buyer cycle once we buy a new car. Um, or you know, some people might at the beginning of the year reassess their finances and go, maybe I should shop around and see if I can find a better deal. You can either create something memorable that people remember and and will will have uh, an emotional attachment to that for the next six to twelve months, or whatever, or longer, hopefully, or you just advertise to them all the time and big brands can afford to just advertise to people all the time and they can be everywhere to everyone. And, um, and yeah, like, like probably I would assume insurance is probably in that, in that boat and they're probably the biggest. And, um, and then you've got the guys who don't have that kind of budget and they've got to do the other thing. They've got to create something that stands out and, and, and get people talking and, and get people loving it and, and then go, wow, that's amazing. And, and then six months from now, when they're thinking about when they get a new car and they want to change insurance, then, then pineapple's the one that they consider because it's the one that they remember. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. So, so, so in your experience, how do you then stand out like that as a brand? Stand out and be that brand that sticks in people's you know memories so that when they are shopping in six eight months time you are the one they think about even though you didn't advertise to them so off as yeah. often as the competitor i mean the, the 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 short answer is emotion and and this is where like awareness for me is a is a is a it's just a fallacy it's i mean I'm aware of APSA. I don't bank with them. I'm aware of FNB. I don't bank with them anymore. I'm aware. Of, I'm aware of Standard Bank. I'm aware of Capitec. I'm aware of all these brands. I don't need to be more aware of them. 
what I need is a what I need is a is a is a feeling towards him. I need a I need an emotion. And and you know, there's there's an amazing science that's come out recently around emotion. Apparently, there's about 127 emotions in the world that we could be, as human beings we can feel. Three are negative, and three they they built and they're based in out of six core sets and and out of those six three of them are positive and three of them are negative and and as an emote as a brand you need to be tapping into emotion and if you're not doing that you're just wasting money and um and you could do it in many ways you can make people laugh like nando's or chicken licken you can make people cry like um there was a famous campaign done by dal direct many years ago or um bells uh, bells did it with the the reader the guy whose dad learns how to read so he can read his son's book um you know part of the give the man a bells campaign um rags mm. to riches stories are often like emotional tearjerker stories like there's many ways of building of creating emotion so i feel like the, people have got the people got the whole idea of brand purpose the wrong way around people create brand per, people think brand purpose is the only way to to resonate with an audience whereas brand purpose is one way right there's other ways like nando's yeah. nando's doesn't have brand purpose like they they're political and they sell chicken and that's and it works for them right because they've they've realized what people they realize how to tap into people's emotions they just do it in a very different way patagonia on the other hand which is obviously on top of everyone's minds at the moment um, because of what they've done recently taps into emotion a different way like it's it taps into people's passion around the environment and global warming and climate change and they've they've built purpose into their business and, and their purpose is kind of something that they communicate um, through their marketing so so it's got to be about marketing there's a there's a I wish I could share an image and, and maybe I maybe I'll send it to you and you can put it in, into the link of the podcast but there's a there's a there's a psychological model called the hierarchy of effects and and the hierarchy effects is basically um, the decision making process that us as human beings go through every time we make a decision, and and I'm and I'm gonna go through it and I'll use a few examples and how it works. And I think like this is the this is the basis. This should be the basis of almost all communication, um, or all yeah. strategy and all creative. So the hierarchy effects basically divides the brain's decision making process into three stages. The first stage is cognitive. The second stage is what's called effective, and the third stage is cognitive. <coughs> now, cognitive is the desire. Cognitive stage of our brain is the desire of understanding. So, if we saw if we saw a something that was stood out that was really strange or really odd or really weird, like we saw a pink elephant flying in the sky, we'd be like, we'd have a need to understand that. We'd be like, what the hell is that? Or Often when you see a new brand or a new business coming out, you have a need to understand it. You're like, what is that? And that, that's the awareness stage. That's the stage where I go, what is that? Oh, okay, cool. I get it. Someone explains it to me. I'm like, okay, cool. I've got it. And you move on with your life. Now, that's the cognitive stage. And, th and that's where aware awareness ticks that box. I know what it is, and, and I have an understanding of what it does. That's, so that's only one third of the, of the psychological decision-making process. The second stage is what's called effective. Now, that's, we, we use that word quite a lot in, through affection. Do I have some affection towards it? Now, if I don't have affection towards something, there's no, I'm never going to have a decision. Nothing is going to drive my behavior to buy that. Now, now, affection can come in many different ways because affection is really emotion, right? It's do I have a preference for it or do I have a liking to it? Now, we can have preference to things that are cheaper than something else. So like if we are buying insurance and some people, some people, 
buy insurance only by what's cheapest. And they'll go through 15 quotes until they find what's cheapest. And then they, and then their preference is the thing that's cheapest. Whereas most people are actually prepared to pay and proof this, you know, there's so much science behind this. We're prepared to pay for a little bit more for something better, or we're prepared to pay a little bit more for something that we prefer. And, and that's the effective stage. And brands need to make sure that they can, um, that they can, that they can satisfy that effective stage that can become effective now. And then it leads us to the third stage. And the third stage is the conviction is the cognitive stage, which is the, which is really the convictional purchase stage. Now that is when you've shown someone something, they're aware of it. You've made them love you. And now you've got to make it easy to buy, you know, superbulous does this amazingly well. Like we all, we all have affection towards a, a specific pair of sneakers. That affection is built into us because we just like what they look like, or we've seen them on a friend. Mm. There's no work. Yeah. Superbulous. superbulous doesn't have to do the job to make us like a pair of Nike sneakers. That, that work's already been done, you know, through 50 years of Nike communication advertising, but they have to make it easy for us to buy it. And they do that. They put an ad on, they put an ad on, on Instagram and you're scrolling through and there's a pair of sneakers. And before you've even thought about it, you've bought a pair of sneakers, right? And you had no intention of buying a pair of sneakers that day. They made it easy to buy, but the, but the other two, the awareness and the, and the affection stage were already taken care of. Now an insurance brand, you've got a lot of work to do to get both all three of those um, boxes ticked. Um, yeah. And, 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 and I think like any brand that doesn't understand that any brand that just goes out there and just, just thinks if I spend more money on media, I'm going to get people coming through the door and it will work to a certain degree, but you're never going to get the return on that investment. Like you're never going to get that thing's never going to give you a two X or three X or four X return. And we try to teach our clients that we try to teach people that, um, You've got to, you've got to, you've got to speak to what people are interested in. You've got to speak to what people are, what they love, what what they what they hate, what they're scared of, what they fear, what they whatever. And that is called insight, right? And that's yeah, that hasn't yeah. changed. You know, trying to find a good insight hasn't changed in advertising in fifty years. That's like Ogilvy spoke about that. You know, that has not changed. And like, in your view, Dean, what is what what makes certain pieces of work stand out and become part of conversation and others, um, and others become, um, you know, a distraction to people. I know you've mentioned insights and I know you've mentioned insights as part of that. And I know you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned, uh, this, this, this affection that we have for one brand or one piece of one message over another, you know, it's, it's also no secret that, over time, we all we skip ads and we skip anything that looks like an ad, whether on TV, on digital, on the road, next to the highway. We, you know, we we are we are. It's become ingrained in us to skip ads. But you've just mentioned drip, for instance, and we are talking about pineapple insurance, and there's many others. You've mentioned Nando's. You've mentioned chicken licking. What makes one piece of work? Welcome then part of the conversation and another a distraction. Um, I mean, if I answered, if I knew the answer to that, I would be, <laughs> I'd be a rich man and I'm not a rich man. Um, I think you can start the conversation. But a rich man would say that though. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not a rich man. <laughs> um, the, let's, let's, Let's take advertising off the table for a second. Let's let's just talk about yes. let's just talk about creativity for a second. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because you've got to answer that question or to understand the answer to that question, you've got to look at what makes one movie a box office success and another movie not. What yeah. makes a, uh, a, you know, a track that Beyonce releases that flops versus a track that Beyonce releases that is a hit. Like what happens there? What, what makes it succeed? And, and I don't think that there's a science to that. I think that that's what, that's the beauty of creativity, right? It's a, it's an intuition. The greatest creators in the world are people who intuitively understand that this thing that I'm putting out is going to resonate with people and they're going to be connected to it and they're going to love it and they're going to buy it and they're going to share it, whatever it is. And, you know, and some things happen quickly, you know, they're, they're super novel and, and they, they attract a song comes out and it's number one in, in two weeks and, and, and then two months later it's dead and you've never heard it. You'll never hear of it again. Um, like Mumbo number five, you know, as a, as an old classic and like, it was just, it, it everywhere you looked, it was heard and, and then it didn't happen. And then you get other type of other type of creativity that's more an acquired taste and it takes people a lot longer to learn to love and and once they do love mm, it mm, mm. they will you know they'll love it for the rest of their lives and and they have a deep connection to it and and that connection might yeah. be driven by a time in their life that the music came out or um or whatever whatever the reason is and yeah it's it's a very hard it's a very hard topic of conversation to kind of understand i think that you know yeah. you can even find you can even find advertisers. I mean, you can even find famous famous actors who um, who've been in movies and like the movie's been a huge success, and then you've had, you've had the same actor being in a different movie, and the, and the movie's a total failure. Um, or like you can take the critic approach to it and you go, like, what's the best movie Leonardo DiCaprio's ever acted in? Well, according to the Oscars, um, I've just gone blank on what the movie's called. Uh, the snow one, the one with the bear, that was the best movie he ever acted yeah. in. But, you know, is that the best movies he's acted in? Well, I don't think so. I think he's acted in way more entertaining movies over the years. And then, well, is best yeah. equal, yeah. does best equal favorite? No, because the best movie he acted in probably didn't get nearly close to the same revenue that, that some of the other movies he acted in. Um, and, sure. and, and, and so then you're like starting to dissect who who the audience is and what do the audience resonate with and and whatnot and then you can look at like some of the some of the the teenage musicians or you know my, when i was growing up there were the boy bands and the spice girls and and like none of the stuff makes sense bro like it's 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 there's no scientific way of looking at this and going oh well spice girls had this 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 and this and therefore that's what made them succeed okay now you've got to add the complexity of you're doing this on behalf of a brand and and you're actually yeah, trying to yeah this isn't about entertaining anymore. This is, this isn't about giving something to the world and hoping that they take it. This is about forcing it down people's throats. And I think that's what advertising sure. does badly is that it, it often forces down, forces down people's throats. People think there's a great, there's a great quote, um, which I'll call up now and I'll read it to you. Um, because I, I think it summarizes really well the mistakes that marketers and advertisers make, but people think that, um, that advertising is just about getting in front of enough people and, and you, you'll do it you'll do a good enough job. It doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to get people on your side and you can only get people on your side. If you are actually able to, um, to, to, to resonate with them. And, and now you're asking them to, now you're asking them to on behalf of a brand that's clearly paid for this thing 
Yeah, yeah. To engage with this communication. And the quote goes like this. It says, a lot of advertising is geared towards per persuasion rather than building mental availability. Persuasion is about assuming you're in the room and you're arguing your point. Okay, that's what most billboards do. They think that they're already in the room and now they just got to argue their point. Whereas mental availability is about getting into the room. And so that's the big challenge. Most organizations are failing to get into the room, but they're spending all their money on arguing as if they're already there. And I think that, like it's such a great way of looking at advertising. It's like there's just too many brands out there. There's too many messages. There's too many yes. media. Like yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Like yesterday I was on Twitter and like every fourth post now is an ad. And I'm like, have they have they just done that? Have they just like overnight just turned on advertising on the Twitter on Twitter? And like I think people will, will I think people will leave Twitter so fast if that's if that's the case because these are like now you're relying on algorithm to assume that I'm an audience for this brand and like they get it wrong ten times in a row. I've got 25% of my Twitter feed is totally irrelevant to me. Whereas, now going back to my examples I use, Nando's, Chicken Licken, Nike, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's many examples, VW, BMW, Tesla, um, Patagonia. Those brands have already been accepted into culture. Drip is an example. They've already been accepted into culture. They don't have to, they don't have to ask permission to get into culture, not like an insurance brand does. So they've got less work to do. So when a chicken licking ad comes out, like people will will have their, I think the guard will be down a little bit already to to take that in and right, watch it and have an right, opinion around it. Right. Brands like insurance mm -hmm. brands or banking brands or whatever, they've got way more work to do. They they have to, their work has to work three times harder to basically get the permission from um from the from the end user just to watch it, you know. And then once they watch it, if they if they haven't skipped it, then they've got to go, huh, okay. It wasn't so bad for an insurance brand, or that wasn't so bad for a banking brand. Now, now the job of, of creators in that space is to really like you've got to like disarm people. You've got to you've got to get them to to want to engage, and you can only do that if you get them on the side on your side. You can only get them if you talk with them, not to them. And um, and yeah, and I think that that's what we really try to do with the pineapple work was just was was engage with people like we used. We used social lingo on billboards. We used we used memes. We used um, we we crossed over multiple cultural references to, to kind of make to land the points. But you know, like there's a one of my favorite billboards says, "You've never heard of pineapple? Honestly, same." And you know, like for granted, that's the one that I'm actually the most surprised client signed off like that one. And and when they did, I was like, I was like. You guys are rock stars, man. Like, like you guys, you guys yeah, just yeah, get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really get and it. And I saw. I mean, I, I saw. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I saw quite a few of these. Uh, the, the billboards themselves, and I think. I mean, I also have some of my own favorites um, among the ones that I've seen, and that one that you've mentioned also is. Um, but also, I think there's one with um, insurance scratched out as well. That was a favorite and one that says and the one that says um apparently a billboard is supposed to have eight words and then there's another there's a word that is combined the yeah, two the words that are combined the recommended, one. the recommended number of billboard the recommended number of words on a billboard oh the recommended number of words is eight on a billboard and it's and on a billboard is made into one word um yes yeah the yes. i i think that that was the point you know we could have quite easily gone like the client came and they said listen we've got 90 sites and we could have quite easily gone, okay, cool, let's choose the best five and we'll roll them out across 90 sites. 
So every sixth site would have the same piece of creative on it. But we felt like that wasn't part of the, that wasn't the intention behind the campaign, right? We wanted to give people something rewarding. We wanted people to look out for the next pineapple board. And when they saw another one, they've already seen five that they really like. So when they see the sixth one, they actively engage with it because they, because they feel that like this could give, give them, this could make them laugh or, or be something different, you know, to what they've been seeing today, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, all yeah, along, all yeah. along their journey. And, and so we made that, we made that part of the challenge. We said to ourselves, guys, we're not going to rest until we have 90 pieces of creative. We, we need 90 lines that we think are good enough to go on outdoor. And, you know, anyone in advertising will tell you to get to 90, you've got to write 300. And so we did that. And we, we probably wrote more than 300. We probably got closer to 500 headlines. Um, we've still got them all on a file somewhere. And maybe one day we'll, we'll pull that out and share them with the world. But we wrote 500 headlines and, and, and it was the 500 headlines that gave us the 90 that we ended up using. And, um, and, you know, still today, like clients going, Oh, there's, we've got a couple of new pieces of media. Can we, what, you know, do you have any other lines that we can use? And we had some, we had some good ones that didn't quite make the, make the cuts and make the grade. And, and we've tried to push them through, but then obviously we also had to like, we also had to balance them out with some more, um, brand or product focused stuff, which we, we also did. Um, but I think we got the balance quite right. Like it was probably 80% humor and entertaining and 20% um, position, uh, product stuff. Um, but again, like that's another, that's another great recipe of creativity, right? Is this idea of, of just pushing and, and if we had done five, five really good lines, if we had taken, even, even if we'd taken the five best lines and we'd put them up on, we'd put each line up on 15 billboards. So they like, they all said the same thing. I don't think it would have got the traction that did. The fact that they were different, the fact that mm. each one says something else, the fact that each one is a, is a new joke or a new idea to, to get across. I think that that's what people kind of appreciated. Um, and that, and that's just effort, right? Like that's just, that's just like people aren't dumb. Um, and we I actually want to talk about that point. People aren't dumb and, and they, they can appreciate that effort that the more they see, the more they appreciated the effort that went into it, the more they can kind of go, Oh, well, okay. I get it. Like these acts have done like a really good job. And that's actually the one thing I probably will say against the drip billboard is like, they're all the same. Um, they've got different shoes on them, but they're all the same. And like, they could have, I think that they could have got a lot more traction out of that campaign if they spent a little bit of like time thinking about the different messages that they could put out on different billboards. Even if they'd put like some language out there, they could have done it. They could have taken, we had 11 languages in the country. They could have taken words of joy from all 11 languages and they could have just accompanied the shoes on, on every single billboard. Um, but effort is a really, is a, is a really, I think, big part of creativity. And, um, one of my favorite cliches, I'm going to call it a cliche because probably a lot of people in your, listen to your podcast have heard this, but the great, the biggest enemy of great creativity, the biggest enemy of great work is good work. And, mm -hmm. and people often do good work. And, and unfortunately in this day and age, when you're, when you're on, when you're talking on behalf of brands and you're talking to audiences that are receiving 2000 messages a day, good isn't good enough. And, and you have to, we have to yeah, be pushing yeah. for great work and we have to be like, we have to be trying to create things that are 100% original and totally new and fresh and, and thinking and like where a client, where consumers looks at the stuff and goes, I've never seen that before. I never thought about it like that or, or, Oh wow, that's amazing. Like kudos to the guys who did that. Like, and that's when guys get, that's when, when audiences start resonating with brands and that's when they start loving them. And like Yoko is one of those really good examples where they no longer have audiences. They don't have clients and customers. They've got a community. 
and they've got a community because yeah, they've been speaking. Yeah, yeah. They've been speaking. I'm sure you know Mash. Like Mash has been speaking to his audiences about around Yoko and stuff for probably four or five years now, and they've got this like incredible community now of people who are just advocates of the brand and and like the brand's now starting to like sell itself, you know, and way before they even have to do any pieces of marketing. And that's the ultimate goal for brands for me. Like Nike have done it and um, Adidas have done it and Tesla have done it and Drip have done it now. Like they've got these communities of people who endorse, who are, who are just mad, passionate um, subscribers to brands. Um, and, and you can only mm. do that if you start getting them on your side. Um, sorry, I've done yeah. a lot of talking. I think, I've done I think yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's 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 really great, and I think that's uh, I think that's a really great uh, point to close on because it brings us back to to the fact that you know you, you you almost have to ask for permission to be part of culture rather than assuming that you are, and once you are, you build that community and you build that community of of customers and people who who really love um, your brand and with whom your brand resonates. So I think for me that's. Um, a really great point for us to, you know, to, to end off the conversation. And yeah, it's been really insightful. I got a lot out of that and I'm sure that will, when we share this, a lot more people will get a lot out of it as well. No, thanks. Yeah, I think, I think even more than asking permission, I think we've got to earn permission. And, and, and I think that that's a really, that's, that's the bottom line. And, and the last point I just want to land is like, please stop thinking the consumers are dumb. They're not. The consumers are really, really smart and, and they appreciate when you give them the time of day. So yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's been a it's been a really uh, great opportunity to talk about it, and yeah, really really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter, on at Mongesi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongezi.com.